the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be together as always. And uh, we got a segment of Noah Says later on today. Noah Says with our great Noah Dingley. He uh, has been wrong on the recall, but he's going to explain himself. So we'll hear from him. Uh, And um, we will also uh, get a chance uh, to listen to a man named Jim Robbins. It's been a long time since Jim has been on the program, but he's super on the air. He's a great writer, and uh, we'll talk with him also. All right, before we get to either of those, what do you need to know? What you need to know today, what you need to know today is the killing of Down syndrome babies will lead America to be pro-life. Now, wait with me, work with me. It sounds dramatic, that headline, but what you need to know is the left and I don't know who medical uh, medical people. I don't know what, how you describe who is doing this. They have targeted Down syndrome children and Down syndrome adults, Down syndrome, people with Down syndrome, and said they're not worth living. It's not worth having those babies. Therefore, they should be killed. And the context of this comes up is that Missouri passed a law a year or two ago, and it's been up. It's been um, held up in court by a liberal federal district court judge and is now up on appeal. And the, and the law basically is protecting babies earlier, kind of a heartbeat bill, a little bit of a hybrid there, but also says you can't target Down's kids, can't target Down syndrome kids. Here's my feeling on this outrage, but also I have a sort of clinical, a, 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 um, I have some distance, even though I get emotional, I want to get emotional. I think it's a really, really, really disgusting, evil thing to do, but I think it will help pro-lifers, people that believe babies are lives, um, babies are human. It's going to help. So let me tell you a quick story. A couple years ago, I was uh, coaching basketball for my sons, both sons actually, and my daughter. I coached three teams in the 2020, uh, I guess it was 2020 or 2021, 2021 during the COVID year. I decided to coach because I thought we ought to get, uh, make sure. So it was it was fall of 2020 and, and into the winter of 2021. I was worried that our little town would lose its league and for sports. So I signed up to coach. Turns out lots of kids wanted to play because they want to get out of the house. So we had a, for my oldest son, who is, uh, was, I think, 12 at the time, they had a draft. And so you had to go practice in the gym. And so you want to make the teams relatively even. And so when we got to the draft, though, we had all these players, and I was new. Some of the other coaches had been around. They knew all the players. But there was one kid who was off the chart, and they said, this guy, I'll call him Steven. That's not his real name because I'll be a little careful. And they said, Steven, um, you know, he's the last player picked. I said, why is that? And they say he's Down syndrome kid. I said, oh, really? And they said, yeah. And I said, I'm, I, I'll take him. I want him. I'm going to take him as early as I have to to make sure I get him. Because I've, I love I love Down syndrome kids. I've always had a soft spot for them. I, I think they're just, they have a certain just quality. I just love them. And so anyway, long story short, we drafted Steven onto our team. And we had a good team. We had some good players. But we also had the best team because we had Steven. And Steven was so happy, so joyful, 
he would periodically hit a shot and the crowd would go crazy. The other, we didn't have any crowds actually late in the year. I think we had some parents that were allowed to come, but the kids would go crazy. The, the boys playing against him would be nice to him. It was awesome. And at the end of the year, the boys gave him the game ball for the year. And actually I'll tell you a secret. I loved that kid so much and I loved coaching him and I loved that team. I actually bought two game balls. I mean two, yeah, two game balls to give a game ball away to the player of the year. I knew they'd give it to him. But I also had one for me, and I had everybody sign it, including Steven. I love that kid. And my point here is the other kids, some of whom were like, like you know, like 12-year-old kids are. They were like, I don't know, nasty to each other and, and you know, didn't follow instructions, didn't play hard, spoiled, also up and down, you know. They were so kind to him on our team and on the other teams. It just brought out a joy in them. It was phenomenal to see. And so the, the law in Missouri, besides being protecting a baby's uh, during a heartbeat, kind of a heartbeat bill, it also is, uh, has in it um, a protection against targeting Down syndrome kids for abortion. And they have had to argue. The other side is arguing how, you know, the Down syndrome kids, they're costly and they're a burden and all that. And if you have a family that has a Down syndrome kid, it, I'm not saying it's easy, by the way. I'm not saying that there's not burdens. I'm not saying the thing that would worry me the most as I say a father of a Down syndrome kid is when I'm gone, how do you take care of him? But there's, you got to figure that out. And you got siblings that do it and all. But the, the idea that the public face of the of opposition to an, a, a bill to protect babies is people that are saying we need to make sure there's no Down syndrome kids because they're too much of a burden, that's a losing position in my mind. I could be wrong. Because part of what's happened in the last 25 or 30 years is you'll notice there's a lot less Down syndrome kids. So maybe over time, people will not have the experience of a Down syndrome kid like I did and my son did and our team did. But I don't think so. I think there'll be enough. In fact, I remember the story. You may remember the story that a a listener to the program who listens in Australia as listens as a podcast, great pro-life guy, he emailed me and said he and his wife were having their third baby and the baby came out and it was Downs. And he said for about 72 hours, he said, we were just stunned. We didn't know it was coming and we worried about the future. And he said, and then it's now like six weeks later, he told me it's the greatest thing that ever happened. Total joy. Everybody loves that baby. It's just great. So I think if you have a, a, a situation where in, there are, in, the, in Missouri, the Solicitor General for Missouri is a guy named John Sauer. John Sauer, very good guy, very talented lawyer. I think he went to either Yale or Harvard Law School, but he also clerked for Justice Scalia and just a sharp guy. He's arguing for the, uh, for the state saying, hey, we should be allowed to limit abortion. We should be allowed to limit the killing of babies if we want, and we should be allowed to limit. You wouldn't be able to target Down syndrome adults. It would be against the law. You can't target somebody that has a disability in, 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 in a community. If you had somebody that was in a wheelchair, you can't target wheelchair uh, riders because you don't like them and they're too big a burden. So anyway, so John Sowers arguing that case. And I, I hope and pray it will get lots of attention and people will see these quotes of people that don't want to have, that want to be able to target a, a Down syndrome kids because there's something wrong with targeting any baby for killing. But it also lends itself pretty easily to what are you going to do next? Are you going to say that people that have diabetes, you know, the, the, the juvenile diabetes, which you probably can test for in utero pretty soon if you can't already, are, are you going to say that somebody who's got uh, a, um, a, uh, a congenital heart defect, these are people are burdens 
The burdens on our system, shouldn't we eliminate them earlier? Shouldn't we only allow what someone, who, Dr. Fauci, will tell us is the perfect baby? So you got to send your baby, send your, do, do, you have to do an early test, send it up to Fauci and the team. They'll tell you if that baby's allowed to be born. Is that what you, is that where we're headed? Because Down syndrome kids are not a burden in the same way that you could say if someone, you know, you could make an argument. Someone would make an argument and say, oh, we're looking at this ultrasound. The baby's got, you know, um, only one lung. It's got all these abnormalities. It's only going to live for a week or two and blah, blah, blah. And I still don't agree with it. But you could say only the only medical outcome is going to be lots of surgery and all that. That doesn't happen with Down syndrome kids. They have a shorter life expectancy, but not, not they, what they mean is they don't like kids that aren't the same. And they don't like people that aren't the same as them. So watch that. And uh, hopefully, hopefully and prayerfully, we say, hey, if you're going to be targeting Downs kids, you're going to lose because people love those kids. They, they, they shine with joy. And I know it because I had one on my team. It was awesome. It was awesome. So watch for that and we'll see what happens. All right. And um, that was in the Eighth Circuit Court of Appeals out in Missouri. I'll put up on social media when I can find some articles on that. They, uh, they argued that case uh, a few days ago. So it'll be another, I don't know, couple months before this decision. Could go up to the Supreme Court after that. But uh, kudos to John Sauer, the Missouri Solicitor General, for arguing that. And for the Missouri State Legislature. I, I did an interview with you earlier in the day today. Um, that Missouri has had a great tradition back to John Ashcroft when he was attorney general of the state of Missouri and governor of the state of Missouri. They had great pro-life fights, uh, uh, fighting for life. Really well done. All right, we'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. It's been forever that I have talked to Jim Robbins, and Jim Robbins is an author. He uh, writes all over the place. He is, um, I think, Jim, you'll have to correct me. Are you still at USA Today on the editorial board there or doing something with USA Today? You've been uh, writing all over. The piece I noticed and thought I got to talk to Jim again is one that ran a national interest. But first, let me welcome Jim Robbins. How are you, sir? I'm great, Ed. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. So before we get to your piece on uh, Afghanistan, um, give me your observations. You've been around and writing on on politics and policy and Washington. At this point, you know, people will say, oh, I didn't think it would be this bad with with, uh, Biden. But how do you feel about where we are? And how do you feel about how many things happen and then seem to move on? I mean, the media moves on so fast. I don't know. What's your what's your feeling? Oh, well, I mean, it's no surprise that they move on so fast. I mean, they don't want to dwell on the negative with their guy. But I mean, people are noticing if you look at uh, Joe Biden's disapproval rating and how it's been uh, you know, going up and up over the last few weeks, starting with Afghanistan uh, and also with COVID and the border crisis. And, you know, you really have to wonder what they're doing right. Plus, I think there's a, a big sense of bait and switch when it comes to Joe Biden, because you know, he was kind of sold as the moderate alternative to Donald Trump and that, you know, he would kind of reset the ship of state or, you know, whatever it was, however they sold him. But now it looks like he's completely captive of the far left wing of the Democratic Party. We can see what's going on in Congress with this budget busting, you know, multi-trillion dollar, uh, you know, human infrastructure bill, so-called. Uh, which is on top of the other trillions of dollars that they've already spent on COVID relief and they want to spend on infrastructure. Uh, Is this really what the American people uh, were bargaining for? I don't think so. 
It certainly it doesn't feel like it. Again, the question is whether, you know, we go back to this. Um, I thought California, the recall would be closer. At least, you know, I've kind of felt like, well, a lot of people are fed up, although California is a blue state. But the numbers were sort of similar to when, you know, uh, um, Gavin Newsom ran. I just wonder if we're divided and whether you're going to see many people who say, oh, I'm I'm so sick of Biden. All right, but let's get to this piece. I thought this was important. You wrote a piece um, a couple days ago in the National Interest, uh, nationalinterest.org. But you said... Um, stay engaged in Afghanistan or face a terrorist resurgence. That's not something we've heard much about. Walk us through what the threat could be that you're identifying. Right. Well, the piece was based on an interview with the former interior minister of Afghanistan, uh, Masood Andarabi. And the interior minister isn't like in our country, you know, and the interior minister is more like an intelligence official, more like the FBI over there. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, he was giving me his perspective, a very obviously an informed perspective. And one thing he was concerned about was was that if if we do what we did in the 1990s, where we kind of tuned out Afghanistan after the Soviet war, and that's when Al Qaeda became established, and then they came to see us on September 11th. Uh, if we do that again, the same thing is going to happen again because the terrorists are back there now. The Taliban are in power. Uh, this idea that there would be a more moderate Taliban that was being pitched, you know, the kinder, gentler Taliban, that's right out the window. We know that the radicals are back in charge. We've seen the videos of them killing people, you know, hanging, beheading people, oppressing women, all the other stuff. I mean, it's all coming back. And the terrorists are back. They're already in there. Uh, this idea that there's a, a rift between uh, the Taliban and ISIS, well, that's not really true. They're, you know, Sometimes they have disagreements, but at the end of the day, whatever they have against each other, they hate us more. And that's the bottom line. That's a good line. All right, so so what's the most likely problem, though? Is it that it takes the Taliban a couple of years, they get their feet under them, they're selling drugs internationally, they get that, whatever that you call that economy structured, and they allow safe harbor for bad guys? Is that sort of the most likely problem we'll see? Yeah, something along those lines, where... They'll give the international terrorists a place where they can regroup, where they can plan, organize, extend their networks, just like uh, Al-Qaeda did. And here's another issue. There are a lot of international fighters who were in Afghanistan who came from places other than Afghanistan, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it was Europe or maybe even the United States, Latin America, Africa. Well, now that we're out of there and there's no war to fight in Afghanistan anymore, they're going to go back to where they came from and start organizing. And that's exactly what happened in the 1990s. Again, this is why you saw uh, wars erupting in places like Chechnya. You know, those pla- those people were Afghan veterans uh, and also Al Qaeda, for that matter. They had fought in Afghanistan. They, I mean, they weren't Afghans. They were mm-hmm. Arabs, most for the most part, from other places. And so you're going to see that, too. So not just in Afghanistan, but as these fighters go home, well, they're going to be taking the jihad with them. So um, 
What about the Chinese? You know, the Chinese made a big deal out of making noise or in a few minutes. So, again, we're talking with uh, Jim Robbins, and uh, 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 Jim is a senior fellow in, in National Security Affairs at the American Foreign Policy Council in, in D.C., been a writer uh, many, many places in different uh, areas. The piece I'm referring to is in nationalinterest.org. I'll put it up on social media. Um, but what about the Chinese role? I mean, they made a big deal. It seemed like as things were a mess, they said, yeah, we'll come in there and help you. Is that real? And frankly, can the Chinese stand a partner like the Taliban? I mean, the Taliban's not exactly going to play along. They're going to do what they want. And uh, the Chinese may come to regret that. What's your thoughts on that? Well, it's possible they'll regret it. But for now, the Taliban and China are definite partners. And then along with Pakistan, uh, Interior Minister Andarabi told me that there were uh, there were Uyghur uh, groups, insurgents, you know, nationalists, uh, like they call East Turkestan. Uh, nationalists, you know, anti-Chinese who were holed up in Afghanistan. And the Taliban made a deal with China to hunt those people down. I mean, you know, even though these are fellow Muslims, right? The Taliban, they don't care. They're getting a big payday from China. And that uh, uh, Mr. Andarabi said that there were special units with Chinese, you know, special forces embedded who were hunting these guys down in Afghanistan as we speak. So it's not like there's some kind of solidarity between bad guys when it comes to a big panel. <laughs> yeah, I do. I still think, though, I wonder and that's boy, that's um, that's amazing, because one of the things I think there's just less than 50 miles of border between Afghanistan and China. And, and it happens to be in the corner of China where the Uyghurs were. And I you kind of said to yourself, uh, do they you know, are they going to find um, that the Chinese going to find that the uh, Taliban and the and the Islamic uh, extremists are going to fight for their people? I guess the answer is no. Uh, green beats green beats ideology in this case, or at least uh, so far, I, mean, I suppose that's so um, now. But but a different question. Um, how does the how does Biden handle this now? I mean, Biden's still got to live with what he's got. I mean, no one is recognizing the Taliban so far, um, and, or at least not, not publicly. And I mean, it, it, ultimately, you sort of got to get along with them, right, to get them to sort of bribe them to not let it become chaos. Well, maybe. I mean. It's good that, that countries aren't rushing to recognize them diplomatically. That was true of their first uh, turn at power. They were only recognized by three countries in the world. And hopefully no countries will give them diplomatic recognition. Uh, what, but, you know, then you get to the question of, well, how closely can you work with them if you don't give them recognition? And that gets into an issue. But I really don't think that there's any way that the Taliban want to work with us care about us or anything else. They just want to build their emirate, you know, their their radical Islamic state. That's what they want to work on. And, you know, in the meantime, we'll have uh, sanctuary for terrorists. We'll have the Chinese in control of Bagram Air Force Base, which, you know, that was in the news the other day. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chinese will be in there mining rare earth metals or whatever they can exploit out of that country. And if we ignore it, it's going to be a threat. So, I mean, really, I know the Biden administration just wants to, like, put Afghanistan in a rearview mirror as fast as possible and just say, you know, we're done with that place. But that would be a problem. We have to look at some kind of engagement, intelligence engagement, 
uh, talking to the resistance groups that are there who hate us, by the way, because we abandon them. Right. Um, but, you know, yeah. we just got to try somehow to get a capability there. And again, we're talking with uh, Jim Robbins. His piece is over in the national interest about Afghanistan and what's been left behind. Uh, one more question. I just have a little bit of time left, Jim, if you don't mind me sliding over, though. We mentioned China. Um, the Chinese uh, are frustrated, or at least publicly they're uh, rattling their uh, submarines at the fact that the Americans, uh, you know, have this deal with Australia for nuclear subs. First of all, I think I read it's going to take like 10 years or more to get them in place. It's not like we mailed them over there, you know, uh, through Amazon.com to get them nu- nuclear subs. But what's the likelihood that China sits tight? I mean, you know, in the in the Obama administration is when Putin decided to grab a little land. I, how can China not think this is a good time to do this to uh, to Taiwan and to America? Oh, yeah. China, they're testing Biden. I mean, there's no doubt about it. They saw what happened in Afghanistan. They know this guy is weak. They're already doing these, you know, reconnaissance flights and stuff over Taiwan. And you know, that's partly planning, but it's also it's a provocation. They're doing it to see, can we do this and get away with it? And right. if they can get away with that, then they'll push a little more. I've, you know, the Australians, I think the reason why they dumped France uh, with the, the diesel subs for these new, uh, you know, nuclear boat was because Australia understands China is a growing threat in that part of the world, and they need the best equipment that they can have to try to deter China. And we play a role in that, too, a major role. If we're not pushing back against every little provocation they do, they're just going to keep expanding it and expanding it and just see what they can get away with. It's, uh, boy, you know, it's uh, <laughs> it's inter- interesting times. Jim Robbins, a senior fellow in National Security Affairs at uh, the American Foreign Policy Council in D.C. Interesting times to be uh, focusing on national security. A lot to be concerned about. We didn't even touch on the border, but we got to run. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Jim, for your time as usual. And we'll put this up on social media and we'll uh, have you back on sooner rather than later. It's been too long. Thank you. Uh, thanks, Ed. My pleasure. All right. We'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. Again, I'll put it over on uh, ProAmericaReport.com, but also up on social media. Be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Be back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. It's reckoning time. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro America Report. You hear of him. You hear him frequently. I'm not so frequently. He steps uh, behind the microphone, gets out from back behind the microphone. I don't know what he does. He gets off the engineering stuff and gets in. Noah Dingler, a great producer who will weigh in. But more importantly, it's a reckoning time because. I don't know, two or three weeks ago, he leaned in hard. He said, I know Larry Elder. I know California. I know everything. I'm uh, the producer of the Pro-America Report, and it's going to be a just an awesome recall of Gavin Newsom, and Governor Elder is going to make me ambassador to Guam. I didn't say the last part. So Noah Dingley comes back for another segment of Noah Says. Noah Says he wants to talk about the Los Angeles Dodgers playoff chances, but we're not getting letting him off the hook that easily. So Noah, what happened? Well, I think it's pretty clear because if you want to flash back to the 2020 election, I also called for a Trump red wave landslide. And if you take into account all the states that, we'll just say this, had some nefarious actions going on past election night when mysteriously all the polls closed uh, and then opened back up the the, the following morning, uh, it would have been a landslide. Now, maybe the same thing didn't happen here, but all the same mechanisms were in effect. All the mail-in voting was into effect. You heard all the different stories about people, uh, good independents and Republicans. They went to vote, 
They had already voted. They were told they already voted, go home. And so there was a lot of things going on with this election. Uh, I was hoping turnout was going to be the solution to the problem. I don't think that's how we solve elections going forward, Ed, because it's apparent they can make up whatever number they need to make sure they stay in office or get into office. Well, okay, but, you know, one of the problems is I agree with you on 2020. When you looked at it and you said, wait a second, the whole country went one way and in six small jurisdictions, meaning smaller geographical, you know, county here, Maricopa County and all, it went the other way. But boy, oh boy, um, I don't know. It was like two to one. I, I, when I finished that night, and of course we had great coverage on the, uh, on the Answer San Diego with Andrew Kay and I, we went, you know, had all sorts of guests and all. When I finished that night and I stared at the ceiling, I thought, I, in some ways, it proved that California is, you know, it's not close. It's not close. Well, did it? Uh, and it, because there's a lot of people that believe that uh, there's even a possibility that Trump really could have taken California, and maybe he did. I point again to, I know I it's like a broken record because I already mentioned it, but I heard of not just one or two, but many different instances where you had voters going to vote and they had already voted. That, to me, speaks volumes. Well, and you told us that night you had an interesting experience at the polling place. I tell did. tell remind our listeners of that. Yeah, to remind us that. Not going to call out the polling place. That's not how I operate. But I went, and originally I was going to go drop off my mail-in ballot against my better judgment. I was low on time. And so I'm like, okay, I, I need to get it in. I need to say I voted. And then I went to the polling place, which, again, I will not name. And I'm like, well, I drop it off here and five feet from me to the left. Well, there's the live polling place. I'll just vote live that that's what my American duty and responsibility is. So I told the person, Hey, let's cancel this ballot. Let's rip it up. And they literally tried for close to almost 10 minutes. Ed convinced me on why I needed to turn in my mail-in ballot and not go vote live. That's another thing. Okay. For me. Yeah. I said, you know what? I know what the mail-in ballot can cause. Let's know. And I told him why I'm like, it might be quicker to give you this ballot it's going to be safer it's going to be more secure and again it's my patriotic duty to go live to the polling place others maybe they would have been convinced otherwise and i don't know how much that happened on election day as well Hmm. i you know i i guess my this is one of the problems with the result because a lot of people and i you can hear it in my own uh we're talking by the way with noah dingley our producer of the program and and a astute observer of politics he also produces uh andrea case program but you can always hear it in my um way i'm looking at it it was it wasn't close enough for me to think they stole it now your point is why why do you you know why if if you can steal 10 votes you can steal uh, a million votes And, and i you know i suppose that's right what about the momentum though um you know, again, Noah, you you would hear from and see because the answer San Diego and all our, our programs, the energy of the conservatives is how disheartening was this that it didn't turn out better? Well, it is disheartening because we really saw Larry Elder, a lot of people that, again, they don't even necessarily had to have been Republicans. There was a lot of people on board with this recall movement that were Democrats. They were independents. They were fed up Californians that wanted to make a change in the state. And they really wanted Larry Elder in there. They saw what he stood for, that he was somebody that called out all the political 
uh, shenanigans. Uh, he's, he's a man of common sense. He's a great communicator at the end of the day. And yeah, it might have been a little bit deflating, but Larry Elder, I don't think, has made an official decision on what he wants to do going forward. Some say he will stay in state politics. Others say he has greater aspirations. I hope either of those is true because we need more people like Larry Elder if we're going to take this country back. And I don't think people should give up just yet. Wait a minute. What do you mean? Is he going to run for president? The, I have heard down through the grapevine that there may be, again, maybe, not yes, uh, that there may be other political aspirations for him. Uh, and if, if that is where he is headed, I'm okay with that because we need somebody at the state level, eventually the national level, that's going to stand up for conservatism. And as of right now, other than people like Larry Elder, I don't see people doing that. It is, um, I guess, so, and, and I, I, I'm sorry to admit this, that I don't know the answer. Is he going back on his radio show? I've had people ask me that immediately after. They're like, will he be back? Will he be back? Has, has that official word been out? Is he going to do a show again? I haven't again, heard an official word, but I have heard that, you know, if he comes back to his radio show here across the Salem Radio Networks, that obviously with uh, the movement that he started with conservatism here in California, really trying to take this state back, at, at, on a, in a true grassroots effort that that's going to be just great for his radio show. And I agree with that as well. He, I think, pick up, you know, so many more listeners because I think that true conservative California base has been energized and that could only be huge success for his radio show. I mean, I think that's true. The only question is, um, once you know, he's he's what sixty three or sixty four, and he may say to himself, um, "I can have a bigger impact right now," as you're pointing out, in some sort of political fight. You know, run for governor again, uh, run for U.S. Senate. I don't know. Run. You know, there could be. There's a number. Yeah, of things. I don't know. All if, right, you know, um, if he wants to keep it local here in California, too, Ed, that's that's perfectly fine. But why I like him on the polit- political stage, and not to say that I wouldn't welcome him back to radio, I most certainly would, it's that and- Andrea Kay and I talk about it on a regular basis. You and I don't get to share as much on the air together. I don't see more than a handful of real conservative Republicans standing up and fighting back for this country. And I'm, it's embarrassing to say that they're the same ones over and over again. And a handful isn't going to take this country back. We need more. We need more patriots like Larry Elder. Yeah, I think um, uh, I think you're right about that. I think also he you you can't underestimate a great communicator. You know, you could say, oh well, you know, so and so's good. If you succeed in radio for 30 years like he did, it's a little bit like Ronald Reagan, who succeeded in 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 TV and film for 30 years. You know, you you just have a natural. It's it, it actually it looks like it's natural. It's not natural. It's 30 years experience and he's really good at it. So, um, okay. What about one quick follow up on something? Uh, they made a lot of, they made a big deal out of Orange County, uh, looking like it's more, uh, purple than red. What's your read on that? I have family in Orange County. I travel up to Orange uh-huh. County quite a bit. And again, if I'm giving my personal read on it, I think Orange County may be the reddest part of California. And San Diego is certainly conservative, but, I think Orange County is solid red. I, I have seen more Trump signs, uh, more rallies, let, you know, it, leading into the 2020 election, uh, hearing from different family members with this recall election and, you know, just going up there and, you know, watching people 
it, with with different events. There would be no, you know people not wearing masks, and this was even before the huge vaccine push. Not really caring what the state officials were saying. I I say it's solid red. So was the anomaly um, your your thoughts? Is it could be fraud? Could be. Uh, it m- most certainly could be. Uh, I, I mean, I mean, I don't even think they're done counting the votes yet. To be to be quite honest, mm-hmm. they just you know pretty much it you know my dismay and your dismay Ed, during our election night coverage of the gubernatorial election recall. Uh, just a couple of hours in, they called it and said, "Nope, can't make up enough votes." He's you know Newsom solidly the winner, yeah. and that was a narrative I think they should not have yeah. painted. And again, with some of the things that I experienced, this isn't just making stuff up. I experienced certain things personally. I've heard of other people experiencing things with, again, the, you know, hey, you've already voted. No, I haven't. Uh, Things aren't adding up. And this is not this is not good for elections. Again, election reform is something that is needed, I think, in all 50 states. It needs we need to get our votes secured. Uh, last question now. Uh, Noah Dingley, we're talking to the great producer of our program and uh, also Andrew Kays and has his own uh, program. Um, okay, playoffs. How afraid, how scared are you <laughs> that the Dodgers are going to make it to the wild card and have to face my St. Louis Cardinals in a one-game playoff down in Chavez Ravine, and you're going to get to see Adam Wainwright striking out Al, um, a Pujol, Albert Pujols to end the ninth and win and go on to the play. How worried are you about that? Well, I'll be very honest with you. I have been watching the standings like a hawk, and I really, truly believe we take the West. We're within a game of the Giants. It's definitely doable. We're fit, you know, finishing the season, I believe, with the, with the Diamondbacks, which is only going to help us, I hope. If we do get into that one-game playoff and we somehow just manage to get in through the wild-card door and have to play you guys, the Cardinals have been all kinds of just spectacular when it comes to postseason births. You can have a mediocre season. So you're scared. You so you're, so that you're scared. Postseason. You're Are a you much scared? tougher Are team. Wainwright is <laughs> no joke. But I also want to point out that uh, we have oh, somebody we uh, called Max Scherzer right now, and that would be a heck That's of a true. matchup. That would be fun. All right. Well, listen, as always, uh, the great uh, Noah Dingley, uh, scared of, of the St. Louis Cardinals, but it's important to face your fear and uh, other insights. Appreciate it very much, and thank you as always, Noah. You're welcome, man. My pleasure. All right, there you go. That's Noah Says with Noah Dingley. We'll make sure I get – every time I get off the, with this, I get a bunch of emails from anonymous people. It looks like Noah's accounts, but he says we got to have more Noah Says. Maybe we will. <laughs> we'll take a break, everybody, and we'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily broadcast from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. And we're upholding the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly, grassroots activist, author of 27 books, and articulate voice for traditional values for more than 70 years. Now, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. It is a long-standing doctrine of the Christian faith that believers are supposed to render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. We understand that we do not really own anything personally, but that we are entrusted by God to manage our assets on his behalf. Well, the government of East Lansing in Michigan has decided they want to take over God's place at one family farm in their town. Stephen and Bridget Tenez are both practicing Christians, and they also own and operate Country Mill Farms. Part of their business is to grow fresh produce to sell at the local farmer's market, and the other part is to host weddings on their property. 
In 2016, the Tenas made it known that they would not host wedding ceremonies for homosexual couples because that did not line up with the biblical definition of marriage. In a petty act of vindictiveness, the city of East Lansing banned Country Mill Farms from selling at the farmer's market. Just in case there's any confusion about East Lansing's motives for giving Country Mill the boot, here's a statement by East Lansing Mayor Ruth Beyer, recorded in court documents. Quote, We don't doubt that you're allowed to be a bigot. You can say it on Facebook. You can say ridiculous, horrible, hateful things. What we said is if you actually do discriminate in your business by not allowing same-sex couples to marry on your farm, then we don't want you in East Lansing. End quote. Can you believe the sheer gall of Mayor Beyer? What gives her the right to say that if you don't give up your religious convictions, then we don't want you in East Lansing? The rights of Stephen and Bridget Tennis have clearly been violated by these truly bigoted bureaucrats. I applaud the Tennis for seeking their day in federal court. The rest of us could certainly stand to learn some lessons here. Don't let the left intimidate you into silence, especially if they hold elected office. Your right to live out your religious faith as secured by the First Amendment is more important than some bureaucrats' phony definition of bigotry. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin, president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Freedom of worship and the right to express our faith and read our Bibles is foundational to America. At phyllisschlafly.com, we promise to track mounting threats to the free exercise of religion and equip you to fight back. Your defense begins at phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, quick uh, little wrap-up, not wrap-up, but uh, point you in a direction so you can see a lot of what has happened uh, in one place regarding the Hunter Biden cover-up. And what I want to encourage you to do is go to uh, Glenn Greenwald's Substack. Substack Substack.com is a website where people, uh, independent journalists go and they write and all. And he he has a a whole thread. If you go to Greenwald.stub, excuse me, Greenwald.substack.com. You can go there and you'll you can click through. You'll see how to work it there. And you'll be able to get basically the breakdown of who the journalists were that were carrying the water to cover up the Hunter Biden thing and who the CIA and and uh, and other senior intelligence officials that were feeding the line. And he, he he called the headline is new proof emerges of the Biden family emails, a definitive account of the CIA media big tech fraud. It's very well done. He lays it all out. At the end of it, he also has a rumble, a video. It's about an hour on rumble, and it's very good, too. He's got a rumble page. So if you go there, this is worth doing. Now, you know, let me say this. Five, six days ago, I told you this was it. I mean, I think it maybe it's Friday or Monday. It might have been Monday. Uh, I told you this was it because there's a mainstream, quote unquote, mainstream book by a Politico writer who basically went out and confirmed that the Hunter Biden email exchanges that had to do with the big guy, that was Joe, Joe Biden, were all, at least, they were all irrefutable. They were, they were, he had genuine um, backing that they were not sort of made up. Meaning, like, I think some of them were, uh, some of them were um, uh, obtained, the, the Swedish government in a Freedom of Information Act request, whatever their version is, they released some of them. And uh, other of the names that were in there, this guy contacted. And so it's not, 
you know, it's not a hundred percent. Somehow it could be faked, but it's pretty damning. And at this point, the leader of the free world has now had confirmed that there is a connection to Ukraine, Burisma, and China, whatever that hedge fund was. And yet, so there's two problems. Is our president compromised is one question. Is he, is he compromised? Is he covering for his son? Is he covering for himself? And the second question is, how can we ever trust anything we hear from the media? I mean, they, they clearly went in the tank on this one. It's just stunning. So just check that out. As I, as I told you three or four days ago, this was a big deal, this book, and it has turned out to be so. And now the question is, where does it go? And I told you a couple days ago, I called for the fact that somebody in Congress should go ahead and say, Joe Biden has to get his bank accounts out and make them available so we can see if he was getting 10% for the big guy, if that was really happening. Meanwhile, <laughs> Hunter, Hunter Biden is now a painter and is getting $500,000 per painting. If that doesn't sound suspect to you, I don't know what does. So <laughs> I think this political book is a bigger deal uh, it, it's not a bigger deal than I said. I told you it was a big deal, but it's becoming a bigger and bigger deal. And I think you're going to see in the trajectory of these things that it becomes a full-blown scandal, and we'll see what happens there. So, all right, that's what I want. I just want to make sure to tell you, greenwald.substack.com, and you can click through to his uh, Rumble page. Thank you to Joanna for booking our guests, and we will be back tomorrow. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Talk to you then. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.